0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: This is the Starship Sova. Everybody welcome. Hello and welcome to show 505. I'm your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Tell you what's coming in today's show. We have the main fiction, a book by its cover by Colleen Anderson. That is the main story today. Now we'll have a few little things as well to talk about. The first thing is I'm not getting it. (laughs) I'm not getting Star Trek Discovery. It's not clicking. It's not firing on all cylinders for us. I don't know. I'm hoping. Well, I watched there's now, when recording this, I'm, I've watched one, two and three, you know, episodes there. The first two episodes, the first one was just, it was, it took us three goes to watch it, the first one. And I just thought it was so stilted. The dialogue was so, so heavily laden to kind of give you the answers. It wasn't, oh, it was, you know, if you're going to... An opening scene of, you know, a brand new show that the launch Star Trek again. This is the little example. Of, if if you've watched it, I'm not going to give any spoilers away or anything like that. But at the very beginning of, of show one, there's like a, a four minute little, you know, before everything settles down, there's a little four minute Is not related to anything going on, and it's so trafficked. The 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 kind of script. There's a huge big storm in the background, and the two main characters are on this planet. There's a huge big storm in the background. I can see it, and they're just. It's so like. What time do you think that big storm there is going to hit? With do you know what I mean? It's just like I can see that big storm, man. We know there's a big storm, but it's just like. What time do you think that big storm will hit? Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, get the writing sorted out. You know, the main thing first. I mean, I'm no writer. Trust us, I'm no writer, but you know, you can cut that sentence down. You can just have a few glances, a glance at the storm. How long? You <laughs> go! It's, it's not rocket science. Two words. How long? It would have conveyed everything. The worry, the dread, the storm coming. The great, the special effects are fantastic. Just, oh. And then, you know, again, this four-minute little scenario, the walking on this planet, the proceed to tell each other why they've come to this particular planet to save this particular race of, of indigenous people on this planet. And it's like, surely... By the time you get to the fucking planet, you know what you two are up to. And, and it was just, you know, it was just so heavily laden. And like I say, the first one was really bad for me. The second one, it picked up a little bit. Now, the third one, which I thought, hey, that's all right. You know what I mean? Let's get on track there now because it, it started to bring in characters and it totally changed direction. And now you know where it's going and you think, ah, right. And, it's settled down and the main character of the show, again, no spoilers, I'm not I'm not gonna you know what I mean, but it's totally changed. You know, she's now a, a brooding character, and it's yes, it I I'm quite happy with that. It's great, it's it's it hits the, the nail on the head spot on. There is some great characters coming out there now. There's a character called Cadet Tilly, who's played by Mary Wiseman. Now she is, please watch it fab, I love that character. I thought, you know, there was one reason, how would she ever get on one of these, you know, scientific ships in the first place? She's got loads of little hang-ups, but a great character. And there's there's an actor called Doug Jones, who plays Saru. And if you actually have a look at Doug Jones in real life and then look at his character he's totally like an alien you know skinny skeletal alien looking creature It's, it's not that much makeup being used doug jones i've just realized i've been on i m d b he's the the actor who plays you know there's like a an aquatic fish or like a, some sort of like fish reptile in the Hellboy series. I'm sure if I, if I remember, I'm um, Abe Sapien or, or something like that, but it was like a green coloured, blue coloured aquatic creature. And in the new film, they're all talking about that, the shape of water. I think he plays the amphibian man. Again, like a, a water creature. And all these characters are basically the same. If you have a look at them, you know, like all these like thin skeletal creatures. So he's got a little niche role, this Doug Jones. But getting back to Star Trek, yes, number three was way in a, in a head and shoulders better than the first two. Do you know what I mean? And again, the, I'm not, again, not, not giving anything away there, but the Klingons are like redesigned again. Do you know what I mean? How many times do we have to see a different version of a Klingon, you know? Anyway. So it'd be interesting to hear what you say. Like I say, the... The first show, it took us three or four goes to... You know, I kept stopping it and not... Thinking. The second one, well, it was all right. The third one, I'm happy. You know, I think we're on a, a good road there now. It's not... It's a nice, straight, even road. Let us know what you think about that. You know what I mean? I'd be interested to find out. Like you say, it just didn't fire anything. I was so looking forward to it and it wasn't doing anything. I'm hoping... I'm hoping. Also, if if it's just, you know, because we are we are kind like that... Robin Bradshaw, who is Mrs. Bradshaw, who is Mrs. Bradshaw, married to David Bradshaw, who did the fine music for Tau City Radio. We've got that tune now on the site. If you want to come and listen, you you don't have to listen to the shows there. You can get it from the site as well. So a big thank you to Mrs. and Mrs. Bradshaw for getting that sorted out. I think it's about time we got into the main fiction. It is a book by its cover by colleen Anderson it was originally published in mirror shades colleen Anderson has been twice nominated for the aurora award for poetry and long listed for the stoker award she has co edited Tesseract seventeen and playground of Lost Toys, which was nominated for a twenty sixteen Aurora Award. She is currently editing for Alice Unbound new or forthcoming works are in Grievous Angel, Futuristic The Sum of Us on Spec and Others. Because there's not enough to do, she's also working on an alternate history dark fiction novel and poetry collection. Her poetry chapbook, Ancient Tales, Grand Deaths and Past Lives, is available through Kelp Queen Press. There's links to all Colleen's stuff. This story is narrated by Kate Leacher. When she's not teaching or editing, Kate writes about genetically engineered unicorns from a lawn. Lone- chair in her carport in oxford massachusetts she is a graduate of the tower's toolbox workshop and her work has appeared in podcastle fireside fiction amongst other places find her at kate leecher or at kate leecher on twitter so the starship Sova is very proud to resent
2: a book by its cover by colleen anderson Cynthia is ready to become her favorite show. She even has the bras and underwears like the Virtue Viz girls, Callista and Carlise. Lacy, revealing not too much, firming and holding the breasts, making them mound up in amplitude even if she lies on her side or back. She had to try on over 50 bras to get one to fit and look the way it does in the shows. Eventually, she paid for implants— because when she lay down, her breasts still sagged to the side. She claps on the VV screen and sits, sipping a lychee rice martini and eyeing her nails as the wall fills with color. Soho Central. Who will she be tonight? Callista last week. Even Bryce once. Luke has never been accessible. However, it looks like Luke will make the move on Carlise soon. Cynthia grabs the programmer as the music fills the speakers and muffles her in sound. She checks herself in the mirror that covers one wall before activating the ocular implants with three rapid blinks of her eyes. A seductive glance, she pouts, lips dusted with faint, shimmering mauve. Then she slouches further into the form fitting couch. Perfect. Not too much. Not too subtle. Her fingers tap the programming console as the images fill the dimensions around her. Now to play Carlise and get Luke where she wants him, where she wants to be. VV. Interactive TV. Cynthia loves it. She loves being involved with the beautiful ones. They are all so glamorous. And there's no reason she shouldn't have it as well. Callista and Carlise... Models with smooth, creamy skin, clothing that fits and moves perfectly on their sculpted bodies, thin arms, firm thighs. Cynthia has been practicing. She hungers to play these characters who entwine their lives in the fast times, the movers and shakers who build their empires on fashion and love and money. The men are gorgeous, tailored, successful, caring, with bodies the envy of any god. They are someone. Echoes of Cynthia's mother saying, You'll never amount to much. You don't have the drive. Cynthia wants more. Always more. Soon, hopefully, the viewers will be playing Cynthia on their Virtue Viz sets, programming her viewpoint into their consoles so that they will be her in Soho Central. She isn't sure how it works. An actor is integrated with the viewer, but still acts true to the plot, which means there must be constructs but virtue viz maintains that all their actors are flesh, and the viewer is just seeing what the actors see. And if they are real, then their fame can be hers. Cynthia could lead a life as lovely and exhilarating as Carlise or Janine, but for real. Cynthia sips her martini, and through the implants, looks at her new surroundings. She sees Park Avenue as Carlise does, while walking. Cynthia has her stop and look in a few windows. The digital readout in one corner outlines the script. Viewers can direct the actor's minor actions and view the show from a character's point of view, but the script is locked in. Carlise has a meeting with a fashion designer. No matter what one makes her do, she will inevitably move toward that goal. Every once in a while, Cynthia tries some deviation. Cynthia Carlise stops in an antique shop. The lean, craggy man walks over and smiles like an alligator. She smiles back and says, I'd like to buy everything you have in the store. The man smiles again and says, Would you like to charge that? I can have everything sent to your place by this afternoon. She walks out, snapping, Never mind. The programs aren't always the most entertaining. It would have been nice to see shock or surprise on the guy's face. But still, most characters respond to her voice imprint and will follow a circuitous route. There are almost infinite numbers of minor characters for the viewer who deviates into little shops or such, but there's not much depth to them. It had been expensive to buy the virtue Viz entertainment system. So expensive that Cynthia had foregone luxuries such as eating much. Besides, being slim helps her look like the actors, and it is well worth it. She's tried out for various shows but that was before she started perfecting her image. Cynthia, as Carlise, bumps into Luke on the street. They share a taxi with opaquing windows. He confesses his undying love, his loyalty, and search for the perfect woman. She coaxes him into parting the zip seals on her skin-tight pants and trailing his lips along her lean hip. It is still Carlise doing this. And no matter what Cynthia sees from her point of view, or says, she still cannot experience the sensations. It would have taken millions for that type of set. Luke and Carlise are still entangled when the taxi stops. Luke's business partner, who has been trying to bed him to gain investments in his new company, opens the taxi's door. Cynthia as Carlise smooths her pants, slides out of the car, and smiles at the woman, then walks away. The episode ends. Cynthia sighs and deactivates the program, then checks her hair in the mirror. Still perfect, no strand out of place. She rises from the couch, one fluid movement, graceful, no jerks. As always, she is unsatisfied, hungering for the lifestyle she cannot yet afford, for being someone she cannot yet be. Time to go out. None of her friends will go with her to the club. Too trendy, they say. Snobs, they snort. Cynthia knows better. It is just the envious sniping of those on the outside, the lesser class, jealous that they cannot attain that higher level and be integrated wholly with society's stars, those who really shape the world. She strips, then pulls on an emerald lycrax gown. It billows gracefully over one hip and cuts away to reveal her angular hip bone on the other side. It slips off the left shoulder in lightning jags and clings to her breasts like a lover. She turns before the mirror, arching her back just so. She smiles the Mona Lisa smile, the knowing smile that is just right. Not too many teeth, not too goofy. Years have been spent perfecting herself, and she knows others would love to see through her eyes. She checks her makeup. Next to acting, it is what she does best. She likes to sculpt people's faces into masterpieces. Beautiful, living art from indistinguishable canvases of flesh. The cab is waiting when she arrives downstairs. Cars line up behind it. Cynthia moves slowly, flowing, then stops to pull a smoke from her arm pouch. She bites the end. The other end flares red, and she inhales before getting into the taxi. People stop to watch. She knows it. But will not look. Those who are truly the elite do not need to prove themselves that others find them attractive. Even in the dark obscurity of the cab, Cynthia remains poised. One never knows where a hidden cam might be. The club, the in crowd is here. Atmosphere shoulders its way through the lights and music. There's no room for the uncultured smell of sweat. Cynthia glides to a table, not too close to the front, not too central heads turn. Here she can watch the watchers without being evident. She leans back into her seat, one manicured hand slipping into the arm pouch, deftly removing another smoke. The end flares as she bites down, and smoke drifts lazily into the nearly clean air. Cynthia prefers the smoky variety. They present an air of mystery of sultry sensuality that envelops her. The smoke curls from her mouth, as if reluctant to leave her. Slowly, she rearranges the folds of her gown over the covered hip. Who is here? Any talent scouts? Any agents or actors? The drink arrives in tinted glass, a mystery to those who wonder what she drinks. Hey, Cynthia, long time. You're looking good enough to mold and hollow. Cynthia glances up. Markian, it's Cynthia now. S-Y-N, no H. Markian is a round-faced young man, pleasing but moving nowhere fast. She wants far more. Whatever, you're still a deadly sin to me. He straddles a chair. Buy you a drink? She holds up her glass and smiles slowly. I already have one, thanks. She looks away and stares at the dance floor, where those who dare to ruffle their exterior dance, avoiding a fatal fashion-marring sweat. She only dances when she can find the right spot on the floor, visible to those seated, giving a rare show, sure to look good from every side. After all, she has studied the shows to see how the stars dance, and has practiced before the mirror. Cynthia knows that image isn't everything, but it serves to give you everything, and get you where you want to be, and she intends to be there, soon. Cynthia chats with Markian for a bit, remaining aloof. There could be other prospects, other possibilities to entertain. Markian moves off when Cynthia declines to dance. She taps her hollow engraved nail against the glass, once, twice, but not so that she looks nervous, just bored. It's time for a thorough look around, like Callista does in Soho Central. Take a sip of your drink, savor it, tilt your head to the left, then slowly open your eyes. Keep them heavy-lidded with sensuality and roll your head until you're looking over your right shoulder, not so much like you're inspecting the crowd as actually enjoying the visceral pleasures of the surroundings. Visceral. Cynthia could do with some heavy visceral pleasure. Her eyes catch on the man sitting to her right. He stares at her. She does not look away, doesn't show anything. She brings her drink to her mouth where her tongue laps the edge. He is stunning. "'Chiseled chin, beautiful cat-like eyes, nearly black hair in the latest style. "'His clothes look Armand and uncreased. "'The smoke from his cig forms a nimbus about his head. "'It is hard to tell in the flickering, swaying lights, "'but he looks like Luke from Soho Central. "'Could it be?' "'Her heart knocks at her chest, reminding her of where she is. "'Don't look too long,' Cynthia tells herself. "'Not good to appear too eager.' She lowers the glass, letting a half-smile touch her lips before she looks away and signals the waiter. Cynthia looks down and opens her pouch for another smoke, trying to formulate a plan to attract this particular man. He might have connections. A shadow blocks the light reflecting off her Lycrax gown. She looks up, unsurprised. It is Luke, and he holds out a smoke to her. Here, try mine. She takes it and bites the end. He doesn't ask, just sits beside her and orders a drink when the waiter brings her scotch. I'm Kieran King. She clasps his hand firmly but doesn't shake it. Yes, you play Luke on Soho. I'm Cynthia Aline. They chat, warming to each other, gauging their moves. She gives him sultry stares. He gives her endearing smiles. She brushes his hand once. He leans in and lowers his voice. "'What do you do?' Kieran asks, leaning back and draining his drink. "'No point in beating around the bush. None of, I'm sure you hear this from every woman. Just, I'm in cosmetics, but I want to act.' More chat, then she asks him, "'How long have you been an immersive actor?' He smiles, a secret hidden behind his lips. "'I do more than act.' I only do that to keep a handle on what the industry needs. I'm the designer of Virtue Vision. He hands her a card with hollow image. She reads it, trying hard not to shake with the good luck she sees before her. Virtue Vision. Kieran King, President. Our reality is yours. Luke, the character, and Kieran King, good-looking, rich, who will have pull in all the right places— It is all paying off. She hands back his card. Keep it. He stares at her and says, You are exquisite. Beauty isn't everything, she begins the obligatory protest. I'm like a book. The cover usually tells something of what is inside, and each page that you turn reveals a bit more story. It's one of her favorite lines. It shows depth. I'd like to explore this book, he grins. Look, I might be able to help you audition for a part in Soho. We need someone like you. Janine might be leaving us soon. Curious, she asks, Just how do you get an immersive program and an actor to mesh? Come, he stands. I'll show you the equipment. Cynthia takes her time. This seems so easy, too easy. But then she has worked hard to make herself into a virtue vision girl. It's no more than she deserves. She finishes her drink, feeling warm from the alcohol caressing her veins, then rises in one fluid motion and exits beside Kieran, knowing everyone is watching. They arrive at the Virtue Viz complex. There are filming studios and offices. The office is more of a high-story castle. To her surprise, Kieran does not take Cynthia to the penthouse suite. They stop in the basement first. He holds the elevator door open, as polite as his character. Luke, the virtuous, the man who's made it to the top without harming others, the man who is loved by all, perfect. He stops her in the lobby where there are plush, green, form-fitting couches. He gives a short history of the operation, and puts a hand on her shoulder to guide her through another door. She turns to say something, and meets his mouth, crushing against hers, his tongue sliding like wet velvet over her lips. His hand reaches behind her and pulls her buttocks towards him. His hips grind against hers. His mouth trails down her neck, biting softly. Cynthia gasps, giving her best performance. It is all an audition, and men like to think that they have the sexiest vixens in the world. But it is not all acting, and fire spreads from between her legs. She touches one zip seal and releases it. He's already found the second and her dress slithers to the floor like an abandoned skin. Stockings and shoes are off in a minute. She's naked and releases the zip seal on his pants, but he takes her before his clothes are dropped. He presses her down onto the couch, thrusting in, hot, sliding, moaning. Cynthia doesn't mind the suddenness, relishes it. This is the ultimate power a woman can have over a man to make him lose control, she arches her back, runs her nails under his shirt, moans deliciously into his ear. All he could ever hope for. Cynthia is in control, loving the feeling, but not giving into to it. Anything for an acting career. But Kieran breaks through her control. He thrusts deeply and bites into her shoulder just below the neck. She yelps, thrown off balance as his teeth break flesh. Then he's pumping hard, and Cynthia gives herself to the moment. A moment of rest, of acquiescence, before Kieran grunts and lifts his head. He smiles and kisses Cynthia. She feels languid, limp, alcohol and sex, making her like a sated cat. Let me show you where we make the programs, Kieran whispers into her ear. We use a special implant. He picks her up, her weight nothing in his muscled arms. She wants to ask for her dress, but feels too lazy, sleepy, and just lets him carry her. He walks past darkened doors, explaining that Virtue Viz has top-of-the-line software, programs on the cutting edge. Full-body integration for the viewer is just around the corner, and at an affordable cost. She wants to look around, but can't, realizing there's something off. She's never been this drunk. Cynthia tries harder to lift her head, to move, to say something, and only a grunt escapes. It is only when Kieran enters a low-lit room, one with many form-fit reclining chairs, that Cynthia realizes her mistake. We only get the best for Soho Central, he is saying, and half a dozen other shows we run. Of course, virtual constructs are used in tandem with the interactive actors. The best actors are the ones that every viewer wants to be. Why are they so good at, as immersive actors, Cynthia? Because it is their lives. He's laid her down on one of the chairs. Out of the corner of her eye, she can see that some of the chairs are occupied. With all her concentration, she manages, c- Kieran, something wrong, can't move, numb. He smiles an almost loving smile as he smooths her hair from her eyes. You don't think that was a love bite I gave you, do you? He takes certain small tools—wires, jacks, computer chips—from the counter in front of the chair. There are monitors lined up on them, and some flickery plays of earlier Virtue Viz shows. He does something at her temple, and at the base of her skull. He holds up an IV needle, as if showing her a prized snake. Her tongue is starting to work, and she can turn her head, but she can't lift her arm. What are you doing? You, Cynthia, will be the newest actor on Soho Central. People will be able to access your personality and live through your eyes as you live as a projection in Soho. You'll meet all of them. I'm sure you'll all get along. After all, Soho will be your only life. You'll have some freedom to move in the scenarios, but you'll never be far from me. I'm sure you'll be a great actress of the immersive world. A pit is opening in Cynthia's stomach. Panic wells blackly through her vision. What do you mean? Why can't I move? You're so perfect. It's what you wanted, isn't it? To be an actor, to live in this world. He injects something into her arm, and she cannot twitch so much as a muscle. She always wanted to be an actor, live the lifestyle, but she never thought of the sacrifices. Cynthia whimpers trying to struggle, but the neurotoxin has paralyzed her. Her mind, though, is fully active. Yes, acting was her life, but this isn't acting. This isn't life. She gasps. But you're not like this. You are so caring. Luke is so good and strong. He stops and looks at her. Didn't anyone tell you not to judge a book by its cover? He flips a switch, punches some buttons. You always have to look beneath the surface. He leans in close. And that's where you'll be. Welcome to the stage of immersive acting. I don't want this, please! Let me go! Cynthia feels her consciousness slipping into another dimension, but she struggles to hold on. What are you going to do with me? She whimpers. Already she can see and smell the streets of Soho Central. Oh, don't worry. Kieran smiles and sits beside her on the reclining chair. He begins to undo his shirt as he strokes her breast. I'll take good care of you.
1: There you go. Colleen, what can I say? Thank you so much. Don't get Copyright is Colleen's and Kate. Thank you. Thank you indeed. More please. Now, remember a couple of weeks ago, it's still rumbling on. It's still going. All the talk about, you know, different accents and American accents and English accents. And it was all to do with, I think it was to do with show 503, Horror on Habitat 7. Remember? By Zach Chapman, narrated by Matt Dovey. Well, it's still... It's still going on, kicking up there. And what's really interesting... And I would like to read you the, the email, be quite honest... Because it might just stir uh, a little bit of... You know, a little bit of... I might get some feathers going. This is by a gentleman called Kurt. Kurt is actually Danish. He says, Hi Tony, I just listened to episode 504... And I was rather surprised to learn... That there was a debate about the re- narration of episode 503... It is funny that an American contingent who had problems with understanding Matt's accent. I just posted a note on the website, and please pop over the website. It's all it's all there, you know. Enjoy yourselves having a chat about it. But he says about how mind-boggling it is for me, a person who doesn't even speak English as the first language, being able to understand it just fine, while Americans who speak English of a sort as their native language claim that they cannot. And Kurt says, this, this, is, this is the little bit, he says, My claim is that they are confusing cannot with will not. Maybe it is worth considering the readers with a more diverse range of accents going forward in an attempt to help making sure that everybody who speaks English can still understand each other. He says, I don't know, man. It's just crazy weird to me that I can understand it just fine, while some native English speakers claim they can't. Like you say, Kurt is Danish. But there's also, as well, you know, this is not just a one-off. Ari. Ari's been, now he has me getting it wrong. Ari, is that how you pronounce your name? A-R-I. Ari says, I'm Finnish, and all Englishes are foreign to me. I did not even, this is great. I did not even notice that the narrator was supposed to be difficult to understand. So... He has the question then, like you say, like, let's keep this rumbling on. Is it just some Americans, it's hard work for them, you know? Is, is it like, yeah, we can understand the basic language there, but when it's all a little bit nuances and accents, is, is it what Kurt says? They just will not listen. Oh, dearie me. <laughs> If you want to leave your comments, it's on show 503. Did you have any problems with understanding that? You know, do we want more accented English voices out there? Or we just want like a plain American? I'm not, oh, that was oh plain English accent where everyone can kind of understand. What is a plain normal accent? Because it isn't this one that I've got. As I say, it rumbles on. Rumbles on indeed. I've got one more as well, email to, to to read out. But what I do, it all encompasses this. And I know I'm going on again, but Patreon, this is the third week i have going to mention. I'll mention it next week and then we'll mention it every, other, every month, I think, about that. So, last week we had 260 on the Patreon signed up. This week we have 262. Two people have signed up. That's the this is how it's you know what I mean. Five and a half thousand people listen to the show. Two people signed up this week or last week to kinda help with support the show. And this is the kind of this is the hits the nail on the head why I'm kinda getting a little bit kind of freaky lately. The ad revenue. Not one penny we got in from ad revenue this on the for the August. Month we get it like a month behind for the August month we didn't even raise any money from ad revenue so it's all Patreon and the crux of the matter is well, that just it doesn't work like that you know we haven't got enough finances so I've had to tell far fetched fables to reduce their shows to two a month do you know what I mean because because we still want to pay right as but we can't just kind of keep on you know. Things have got to give. That's why I'm I'm harping on. Do you know what I mean? The reality kind of hits pretty quickly once you know a little wheel falls off. And like I say, the ad revenues there just to kind of help would go on But on in the August month, which was turned up. You know, it, the email came about four days ago. Didn't get a cent from them. So we rely on Patreon, and this is. I'd like to read this letter because it, it is, it's just fine. This is, just sums up, you know, Abraham Campbell. Hi, Tony. Been meaning to support you guys for a while as I've been listening for years now. I'm a virtual reality researcher and professor, so I get lots of inspiration from sci-fi. So it's great to have a podcast like yours out there. And every time he says, I hear you say fine and dandy, it just makes us smile. And this is a cool thing as well. Abraham says, P.S., he says, I met Freeman Dyson many years ago and got him to sign a copy of Search for Artificial Stellar Sources of Infrared Radiation, the Dyson Sphere paper. This is the paper that everyone talks about when they were talking about... Freeman Dyson, so when I get the postcard, i'll put it on the wall proudly right beside it. Now, these are if I mentioned, and then there 's some i 'll put some pictures out there. these are the the postcards that I 'll send out if you do like a five dollar donation, five dollars a month donation, you get a postcard, and they 're such like vintage looking funky science fiction postcards there. I keep on looking through it because the next one up, whoever gets it will be a Kurd Vonnegut. Cat's Cradle postcard there. Then the next one after that is orderless Huxley, Brave New World. There's some great cards in there. Help, you know. Big thank you to Abraham, and it was Trev as well who kind of come up and you know did the good thing. Trev, thank you so much as well for supporting on Patreon. Support, we please? We we need the money. Do you know what I mean? It kind of keeps we going until next
0: week. Just like to say, good night from me.